this current period where the church is continuing to decide to choose the exact opposite of what it was meant to via the Pope's recent uh, desire to bless homosexual couples, which of course we obviously knew that he was going to do that eventually. It's just that some of us assumed that it wasn't going to happen until the end of time. I thought I would discuss exactly how we can open-heartedly speak life into our friends with this type of sinful, lustful desire, and exactly how we can undermine all of this incorrect theology with the use of icons and symbols. Recently, I was at a Greek Orthodox church for the first time, and since then, I am going to go back, hopefully almost indefinitely, as I continue to go to Protestant church in and out, as I've referred to a lot of people and joked about I'm some sort of a schism guy myself, and I will go to all three churches on occasion. But I thought it was very important to talk about this ideology of the uh, East-West schism and the ideology of icons, how to pray with them, and how to specifically be able to at least begin to comprehend the mystery that is the Eucharist and begin to comprehend the holy mystery that is Jesus dying for our sins and completely undermining everything that we have, in a sense, thrust ourselves into. So the major reason for the schism of 1054, of course, was the overall cause of the Pope of Rome and the Patriarch of Constantinople to disagree on basically the majority of every single subject that made the Roman Catholic Church what the Roman Catholic Church was. From how to administer communion, marital relations of priest, and the imagery to be shown all throughout the churches, such as icons and statues, which is what we'll be talking about very quickly today. Of course, these are just three conundrums in the whole argument of the Great East-West Schism, but it mainly had to do with completely, to a certain degree, undermining what the Roman Catholic Church did the whole entire time when it came to every single type of theological spectrum before the whole of the Orthodoxy was formed by the Roman Pope uh, excommunicating the Patriarch of Constantinople, why the Patriarch of Constantinople excommunicated the Pope, and thereby forming two entire different religious schismed methodologies of theology. So what does an Orthodox Catholic actually do when praying to icons? Well, I feel as though the prayer that they speak is one of the most important that has ever been spoken throughout the period of recent history and throughout history in general, Besides Jesus Christ's statement of saying it is finished, when an Orthodox Catholic prays via their, the tradition, it is the heavily important prayer that they display uh, by saying the sign of the cross uh, going right to left <coughs> instead of left to right, which is the Roman Catholic way, which also was a large schism-related argument where the Roman Catholics deemed Jesus crucified from left to right, whereas Orthodox Catholics deem the opposite, that he was crucified right to left. They then touch the icon, which will normally be a picture of the patron saint that is at that current church, which the one I was at was Holy Trinity, which the patron saint is St. Nicholas. And of course, they have the representation of Mary holding Jesus, which is the one that they most thoroughly use. 
Now what they say after they touch the icon and they do the sign of the cross, they mention clearly in Greek, either under their breath or as loud as they care to say it, through the prayers of our Holy Fathers, Father have mercy on us, which truly is the prayer that every single Protestant must completely 100% understand. Now of course they say that in Greek, which for Orthodox Catholics, Greek is the highlighted holy language, whereas the Roman Catholics highlight Latin, which of course is not said anymore. Now specifically, of course, when they're saying through the prayers of our Holy Fathers, they're meaning to apply that the Holy Saints are praying for you as you are alive, even though they're dead. And of course, this is what's known as intercession, and it might make a lot of people extremely uncomfortable, especially those who think that partying at college and getting drunk every single weekend and perhaps every single weekday wasn't already uncomfortable enough in our society today. We often bring ourselves into these uncomfortable situations and, of course, don't bring prayer involved. This is why we have to have more of a structured lifestyle completely fundamentally applied by the decisionary practice of prayer. Well, it's coming up to the holiday season. The holidays are a week away. And, of course, what better of a gift to give than the gift of Hallow? Hallow is the number one Christian Catholic app that allows you to hear prayers and the reading of scripture right from your phone. You can give the gift of prayer through Hallow by purchasing a subscription for a loved one, for a family member, or you can download their incredible app and become closer to God. Now continuing here, why this prayer is the most, or, or argumentatively one of the most important of all time. Today we are always completely fascinated by every single form of degeneracy nowadays. Of course, bringing into full perspective what Pope Francis has allowed and what the Vatican has allowed in recent times. On top of that, what every single individual who's agnostic or atheist allows their mind to be filled with day by day, whether it's pornography or it's some form of overwhelming alcohol addiction, drug addiction, some sort of unfortunate relationship, some sort of hardship, or just all of that all combined with a couple of other hardships attached. We often hardly don't even pray, any, pray anymore, and quite consistently and continuously, Prayer has actually gone down by 43% in just a decade, which is completely horrendous and a complete, uh, complete horrific instance that is, com that is continuing to occur. And of course, you would think that there were enough of completely heavily devoted followers of the faith to completely undermine the statistic. And really the reality is that people are not focusing, of course, on this one prayer of the Orthodox Church, but really any prayers in general. Nowadays, if you pray, you are looked at as a completely unfallible and invalidated and completely strange individual, despite the fact that half of the actions that people do today are completely out of this world strange, or moronic, or just completely 
dark and twisted beyond repair. And people within the Protestant denomination, of course, are not completely aware of this other tradition in the Orthodox Church, unless, of course, they studied it through their discernment of gaining their MDiv or what other type of uh, doctorate, master, or some other type of related degree would have them study. But there's this other great, fantastic representation in the Orthodox Church that also goes with the prayers and supplication to icons, and it is known as the Holy Roman Doors. And in the Orthodox Church, it will have represented from, again, right to left as most important, which of course goes with the argument of the schism as well. There will be a holy door with the old... Uh, early 10s and 1100s artwork piece of Jesus on the first door. And there's six of these doors, if I'm remembering correctly, on the stage. Six of them were the first being Jesus Christ on the first door. And the second door will be a protecting angel, which of course is the Archangel Gabriel. The next door that'll be towards the middle is Mary with baby Jesus that she's holding, and quite intriguingly here, Mary is holding baby Jesus with one of his sandals currently falling off of his foot. And of course, this is to symbolize Christ's humanity, and that even though he is fully human and fully God, fully God and fully human, he of course still has to have his mother help him. And of course, Mary is at the center holding Jesus because Mary is basically second in importance to the Holy Trinity, which is why they place her at the center point of the entirety of the church. And normally for most churches, these doors will actually be encrusted in gold or another form of precious metal. Next, entirely to the left of this door, will be the patron saint of the church. And in this instance, it was St. Nicholas, which of course is the patron saint of merchants, children, and repentant thieves being three of the types of sainthood that he is attributed to, which of course in our culture today is just another type of sainthood-related achievement that people nowadays are completely throwing out the window. They're throwing every single ideology that has to do with sainthood completely out of the window, and they of course, when it comes to those main three subjects, are just utterly and consistently ruining that type of saintful endeavor. And people no longer want to have kids, and people no longer want to repent. And obviously this is why the attacks on Santa Claus, for instance, are reoccurring. No one has the sainthood structure attached anymore. And no one looks at the Holy Catholic Church or Orthodox Church anymore for reference to saints or saintly figures. And as a result, they don't actually encompass those saintly figures in their lives. Now, right to the left of the patron saint will be the Archangel Michael. And the Archangel... Actually, those two are switched. The Archangel Gabriel will be all the way over on the left and the Archangel... Michael will be all the way over on the right. And this is very, very important because often, sometimes in Orthodox churches with another type of complete uh, subjugated difference when it comes to confession mm -hmm. 
as one scenario. People will do confession in Orthodox Church on any pew and around the church uh, hallway. They won't just do it within one sort of primary confessional room necessarily, and that was a change from the Roman Catholic Church. But one of the main areas will be in front of the Archangel uh, Michael. That will be a very popular place for people to take confession and for people to talk to a priest. And some devout followers even kneel in front of Mary holding Jesus when they are confessing to a priest. Some of them kneel in front of the Jesus image when they're confessing to a priest. Instead of being in a closed, locked room with only one wall between the confessor and the priest within the confessional. Now, this is also important because I, have to, I can't stress this enough. People do not confess anymore. People have no confession-related attitudes. They don't, they don't have any open-heartedness or open-mindedness anymore. And it comes from the representation of not actually attributing sainthood to the church. Of course, the church has these ideologies of, quote-unquote, the saints, but no one really represents what that entirely means anymore. Of course, it's a reference to the saints that wrote and, and helped compose the Bible as well as Jesus, but it is also meant to be us. This is also why the Latter-day Saints Church has this ideology of all Mormons are Latter-day Saints because they are able to represent themselves in some form of sainthood apart and yet at the same time connected to the church itself. And nowadays, people just have extremely strange electronica-looking stages with a bunch of mist machines, of course, if it's in California or other parts of California, or if it's just an unhealthy church that's not based in biblical standards, they'll have the craziness of human creation versus the holy of godly creations attributed to orthodoxy and Roman Catholicism. And this, is, this really stoops to my main point in this short episode. How do we actually undermine the attribute of the homosexual argument? How do we actually undermine the issues that people have when it comes to saying that because it's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and he doesn't appear to particularly have a gender, and it's not particularly stated, it's just stated as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, people will say that, well, God must be transgender then. And of course, everyone walks into this strange thought process and this strange concept where, as a result, the Holy Roman Catholic Church and the Holy See and the Orthodox Church and every single church anywhere should then structurally assume that homosexuality is right. But there is one more practice that I want to discuss in the Earth in the Orthodox Church in order for us to best understand that this is a complete inaccuracy. Now, the Holy Roman Catholic Church did not initially do this and still currently does not. They take the Eucharist completely in front of every single person in the church so that every single person can see as the priest or the bishop or the cardinal's back is turned that he is preparing the meal. It's essentially 
like when you're in one of those restaurants and the Korean food, the Japanese food, the whatever food you're eating at whatever restaurant, maybe it's a steakhouse even, whatever restaurant you're at, they're cooking the food in front of you. It's this ideology that, of course, no, you're not at Outback Steakhouse, but you are completely seeing the priest preparing the meal that you're about to take for communion. And of course, if you're not aware what communion is, communion is the remembrance supper before Jesus Christ was crucified, where the wine was to be taken in remembrance of his blood for his sacrifice, and the bread was meant to be taken for the remembrance of his body broken on the cross for all the sins of mankind. Now, the Orthodox Church does something very, very different. They installed an enactment of taking communion where the royal doors are closed. Now, the priest, uh, the, the two priests with the younger individuals helping the priests to prepare the meal and the current bishop that is doing the whole of the Eucharist within the church, they will then walk, uh, counter each other through the doors, close the doors behind them, he will say a number of Greek prayers similar to what he says before the services started, and then he will prepare the whole of the communion, and the doors will be completely closed off. Now, why this is important is because the Orthodox believers in the Orthodox Church assumed that it would be much better to have the doors closed to think on the mystery versus having a human being in some sort of position of the church preparing it in front of everyone else. And I think this is a very, very, very important attribute to do within church, possibly not all the time, but at least some of the time, at least some of the time to think on the holy mystery. And really, that's what icons are. You are to pray through them as the traditions are set but you are also to think on the mystery every time you do, similar to when you take Eucharist behind the royal doors and think on the mystery as you take the Eucharist. This is the difference between people on the left today, where they knowingly say that every single type of holy mystery has to unfortunately be attributed to them instead of themselves actually thinking on the goodness of God. And of course, the only holified way that we can actually structurally think on the holiness of God is to actually think on a mystery that we can never comprehend until we meet him. And unfortunately, this is one of the reasons why those deeming the homosexual argument true will, of course, never be right. At the rate that the Catholic Church is incorporating to undermine Orthodox and Roman Catholicism, we should be incorporating at the very least an understanding of icon prayer in order to assure that we aren't confused by what icons are evil and misleading and what icons are firm and holy. I will talk to you on Saturday for our last episode before Christmas. Have a good day.